0: Hello, everybody and welcome back to martech masters we have here today john bonini director of marketing at data box i'm very very excited to have john how are you doing john
1: i'm doing good man thanks for having me on on the show here that's I feel, awesome i feel validated i'm finally on martech masters so.
0: <laughs> there you go you are a martech <laughs> master and that's why you're here so uh also john runs a podcast ground up uh he also he goes through how companies prioritize their work how marketing and sales teams run their operations. Do you want to tell us a little bit about you, how you work at Databox, what do you do, and then also a little bit about the podcast?
1: Sure, yeah, I'll talk about the podcast. Yeah, so I'm John. As as Gabe already mentioned, I lead marketing for a company called Databox for the last two and a half years, I think, which is crazy, that's flown by. And we make tools basically that make it easy for teams and individuals to track and improve their performance from all the different tools that you're using. Right. And the podcast that you alluded to, yeah, it's called Ground Up. And basically what we do is we 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 talk to marketing or sales leaders and we dig into the operational stuff, how they set goals, how they prioritize work for their teams, how they scale their teams, um, how they achieve, you know, ultimately their success. So yeah, we've we've had people from from all over on there, uh, you know, obviously folks from HubSpot, you know, uh, Rand Fishkin, um, the guys from Base Camp. So yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun running that podcast. And it's honestly like the reason I started podcasting years ago was it was a hack for me to learn more. And then I was like, why don't I just put these out? So the same thing with ground up. Like it's a good exercise for me to stay connected with other super smart people and learn from them. And just so, so happen I, I publish it for other people to listen to too. That's so.
0: awesome. And it's exactly <laughs> the reason why we're doing this too. We learn more things. Yeah. We share things with each other and then share with the world and uh that keeps growing, right? So uh, Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for, for being here today. It's uh, it's going to be fun. We're going to talk a lot about content and how you guys use content and also how you track content, what metrics and all these different things. But why don't you tell us a little bit be, before we get digging into it, into this, why don't you tell us a little bit about what, what you think content, how, how content has changed in the past years and some of the most important trends you've seen uh, recently.
1: Right. I mean, I think this this video series you have here is a prime example, and the fact that you're also you also put it out as a podcast. Uh, obviously, the channels have expanded, uh, but more importantly, they've matured. I think over the years, as it's gotten easier for brands to produce audio, to produce video, um, you know, we've seen marketers, we've seen brands sort of go all in, right, on different channels. Whereas maybe five, six years ago, like blogging was the only game in town, right? Blogging, SEO, um, video was there right? And, and even audio. But it was harder to produce, even harder to measure, right? Um, so I think as those channels have matured, they've gone more mainstream. And so we see that with our users, too. So not only are people tracking website metrics, but they're looking for tools. They want to track their video performance. They want to, you know, draw the ROI from video. They're requesting integrations with the tools that they use for podcasting, um, SoundCloud, or, or whatever it is. So... People are creating content across more channels, but I don't necessarily always think that, that it's aligned well, I think, in a, in a cohesive strategy. I think you're a really good example that I'm gonna use because I think the brands that are doing it well are the ones that create audio and video and then they use that content as sort of like a backbone or an outline for other content, right? A blog post, social media campaign, an email promotion. So uh Nextony is a great example. This video is gonna be a podcast. I have also read the blog post that you have from our tech Masters that they're not just straight transcriptions. You also like summarize the main points. So I think the brands that are figuring that out, like Nextony and you know and others, are you know, they're they're figuring out ways to transpose content across channels. So specifically like the high production channels, like video and audio. Um, and they're figuring out how to transpose that content into other channels so they can appeal to everyone's learning style without having to basically like 10 X your resources in order to do that. Like hire, you know, five people to do video and produce it, hire all these audio engineers and on top of the people already writing content. So I think how has it changed? It's expanded. Uh, more importantly, it's matured. So I, I think you're seeing marketers go all in. Uh, but I also think a lot of marketers have gotten distracted and they're trying to create unique content across every channel and be great at every channel, which really big brands can do. But I think for the smaller for the smaller brands or even the startups, I think it's a, the great ones are figuring out how to transpose content, reuse it across channels. So like everyone, they're appealing to everyone, the person in the car commuting, the person working out, the person that just wants to scan and get the bullets.
0: Um, I think the best brands are are, are doing that. That's awesome, and in in that place, exactly how we run our content right. campaigns. Yeah. Like you mentioned, we we do we have a video first mentality, and then for our videographers running audio files it's super easy so it's not like they're, they're like oh running a podcast that's easy That is just one layer of the 50 layers that i usually have right so so that's something that if you think about it and you do it right you can start with video turn it into a, a podcast turn that into a blog and then if you create a process right and you have the right people doing the right thing then that becomes social posts campaigns email going uh, email going out to the right people, bringing them back to to read the blog, to watch the video. And, and and I think one of the things you said is key. Not everybody will consume your content the same way, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and you have to be able to put the content in different places, in different channels. Maybe you put it on YouTube because that's where you are going to be found with certain keywords. Uh, and maybe you put your full episode, but you don't put it on Facebook because you want people from Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn to go to your website to watch it so you can actually track. So, uh, that is very, very interesting. We, we do it that way. I think,
1: yeah, I think there's like a, there's a match too. finding out what channel, uh, where the intent is like there's attention and then there's intent. I think video gets a lot of attention and marketers confuse that like, Oh, my video got X amount of views. So many hits on social. Um, or my live video, the X amount of people tuned in, but maybe content has higher intent is a higher intent channel for your specific customer or your specific user. And I think knowing that about your audience, being able to figure out engagement rates and completion rates, conversion rates across different mediums is important because, um, like you said, it's important to create that you create content and transpose it across channels. Even more important to understand where the intent is, where where users typically have more intent, because it's easier to consume video. But at the same time, sometimes it's 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 easier to to find the information you need from content. Um, and I think going into it with eyes wide open and 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 tracking and measuring all those channels, so you can know how people are engaging with them, is is critical. So you're not just creating content and getting. You know, getting lost in the signal just because you're getting a lot of video views or a lot of podcast downloads.
0: Exactly, and understanding what's the impact of each one of these different types of content. Because if you have a blog and you get someone from Google, then the impact is you're creating new potential leads or new, new visits. Uh, but then also engagement is important for your brand. So understanding what you're tracking and why you're doing these aspects like di- different different activities. Um, it's also important to track the right things. If I'm doing a brand affinity campaign, then we're tracking hours watched is how many minutes people are watching the videos, right? But if I'm creating a lead generation campaign, then I want visits to the website from these blogs and from SEO and Google and, and social. So uh, so yeah, that, that makes sense. It's understanding the audience and the, the, in, the impact of these activities on the audience too, right?
1: Right, yeah, don't get lost in those. 80% of it, people, uh, uh, the content consumed on the web in 2020, 2021, 2022 is gonna be video. Don't get lost in that stuff. I mean, it's, it's important, but just remember, a lot of those videos are memes too, in <laughs> your social feeds. Like, video's awesome, I don't need to tell you that. Uh, but I just think, yeah, understanding where it falls in the customer journey is, is the most important part.
0: And also, a video that's three minutes, people will probably watch it, but a video yeah. like this one, that's 20 minutes, 30 minutes, uh, more people are going to listen to the podcast while they're running instead of being in front of the yeah. computer doing one, one thing, right? So that's keep in mind where is the, 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 the content going to be consumed and, uh, right. and how they're going to engage yeah. with it. That's, that's awesome. So some of, tell us a little bit more about some of the biggest plays you've, you've run and that paid off, when, when you were running content strategies for, for data box, what's, what's been working for you guys?
1: Sure. So I'll start, I'll start sort of at the, uh, the beginning, um, at least the beginning, uh, uh of the Pete Caputa era, I'll call it. <laughs> He'll love and hate that. Um, so, but, you know, when, when Pete came over and took over as CEO, I think it was 2000, geez, uh, 17, early 2017. um, so when he took over, like one of the strategies he brought with him from something he was doing at HubSpot was uh, the idea of a roundup post, which I don't, I don't like the name roundup post. I think it cheapens the, 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 the format. But something that we did early on was instead of, which was a deliberate choice, instead of having another single point of view blog, and what I mean by that is John Benini writes a blog post about how to improve XYZ, and it's all my experiences and all of my opinions. Which is most blogs out there? Most blogs are columns. That's what they are. They're columns. We wanted to approach it differently, um, almost like a reporter would. And so, uh, what does a reporter do? It, it interviews other experts, uh, collates different opinions, different views, different insights, creates a narrative around that, and you know gives a more cohesive story or a, a bigger picture to the readers. So. What we started doing early on was we would poll our customers at the time in the early days it was just the customers. We would poll our customers about any number of things that our uh, ideal customer would care about. How do you, you know, track and improve you know your sales funnel in HubSpot? How do you lower your cost per click from Facebook ads? All kinds of things, right? So we would send them a survey and they would answer the questions, some multiple choice questions, we would then collate those answers and put together a blog post. So that worked for a number of reasons. One, we were basically starting from scratch in early 2017, and starting a blog from scratch in 2017, the only thing harder than that is starting one from scratch in 2020. Um, so it's not easy, right? And you kinda, we we kind of hacked the, instead of waiting for organic search to pick up, what that Roundup model does is 20 people that contributed are gonna share that post. Um, And not only that, but the people we started sort of surveying after our customers was ideal prospects. So we would find like, okay, marketing agencies were sort of our like beachhead market at the time. Let's go find other marketing agency pros uh, like Gabe and ask him these same questions. And Databox is gonna be in their sort of universe now because now they're in our content, they're visiting our website. Oh, let me check out Databox. So it was a hack early on, not just to gain traction on the blog and get subscribers and start picking up steam, but also to generate leads uh, in the early days. And we still follow this model to this day. Um, we just think we've scaled it and we've developed process behind it. So it's, it's, it's super streamlined and uh, we're able to produce a lot of it um, you know, frequently, a lot of high quality content at a high frequency, which is, which is hard to do. So I think that was like the the first big play that really paid off and allowed us to sort of scale quickly um, in content. Uh, uh, The second thing is volume of content, just publishing a lot. So that doesn't sound like a play, but the argument, do you need a lot of content? Do you need high quality content? answer is you need both. And when you're that journey to your first 100,000 visitors, let's say, you need volume. You just do. like. You, you know, I'm going to get into this later, but about 20% of your content that you ever produce is probably going to rank and drive significant content, uh, traffic to your site. So you need to take more bites at the Apple. You need to produce more content. So that was, that was another play. A big one, once we started getting towards that 100,000 session mark, was updating old content. So we're publishing content at a high frequency for a year and a half. We have a ton of content that ranked and then sort of dropped or a lot of content that was on like page two of search. So we kind of prioritized that content, made some big updates, uh, and that like we increased our traffic, organic traffic by like 75% uh, over six months. And now that's a permanent part of our process because we have enough content. Um, we're producing so much content that there's always content to go back to that was published six months ago that we can make better or you know give a boost to page one. So that was a huge one. Uh, And then one more recently is we used to publish case studies or uh, use cases for our product separately from like top of funnel content. And marketers typically think of their funnel as, all right, I need top of funnel content, I need middle of funnel content, and I need bottom of funnel content. So what we're doing right now is we're baking product use cases directly into the top of funnel content. Like who says one piece of content can't appeal to all stages? So basically what we're doing now is that same post that would be about how to track your sales funnel in HubSpot and get insights from people like you and, you know, 50 others. Now there's a section in those posts that shows people how to do that in the native tool, how to do it in HubSpot, but then how they can actually track and visualize it and what the benefit of that of doing is uh, in Databox.
0: And it's you're creating a whole funnel on a blog.
1: It's all in the same blog post. And so now we're, instead of publishing those use cases separately, we're baking them right into those posts that are going to rank organically. It's hard to get product promotions to rank organically. So what we're just trying to do now is bake it all in. And uh, our, our bet there is that, you know, the conversion rates on our blog posts are going to go up. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's sort of our big play now that we've developed the process around and we're, we're kind of, you know, full steam ahead on right now.
0: So, yeah, you're mentioning, you know, all these, you know, putting together a strategy, working with 50 people and bringing them all into one piece of content. What are some of the challenges that you've seen by managing that kind of process, even though you're super organized? Then you're working with 50 people that might not send you the content. And how do you make it look like it's the same voice and make it all cohesive in one place? Tell me more about those challenges.
1: Having having good writers solves a lot of that, right? Um, And so... I mean, really, the really, the first challenge was figuring out what the format looked like. What is the output of the actual post look like? At the beginning, it was just like straight listicle style. Um, didn't love that. So we went with a more narrative style at, at the sort of suggestion of one of our writers. So it's more like a newspaper article, the quotes are sort of weaved into the narrative. So um, that was probably the first challenge is just figuring out what does the format look like? How, what is the output? What does the actual post look like? Otherwise, it's just a listicle of quotes. There's not a ton of value, right? Um, I mean, there's value in, in the insights, but in terms of what we're bringing to the table and, and presenting it, I, I think it's just that could get tiring. So that was the first challenge. Um, everything else, like having everything weaved in and having it sound like the same voice and sort of like that, um, that's solved by really having great writers. And honestly, like we've, you know, we've, uh, you know, I'm proud of the stable of freelance writers that we've been able to to put together over the years. Some have gone on to get full time jobs um, at places like Help Scout and, uh, you know, based partly on some of the work that they've done, you know, with us. So um, I'm proud of the, the process that we've been able to put in place and then the the type of writers that we've been able to attract in here. And having freelance writers that have unique experience, they're working with other companies, they're seeing what works at other companies they're working with other good marketing leaders and learning stuff from them. And so bringing like, you know, a handful of freelance writers in at a time and you're getting all these different views and everybody's just working to improve it. Um, I've just, I couldn't, I couldn't be a bigger proponent of bringing on freelance writers. Um, and so like that kind of solved a lot of the challenges you, you mentioned, which was having good writers that know how to tell a story. Um, and I, I screen people, I'm super picky when it comes to writers. Um, and like I look for the people that have a more journalistic style that um, are really good at telling a story around maybe the facts they learned or quotes from other people and so when you bring in people like that and they're able to sort of just go to work and you kind of have a great tight process they can follow and then get out of their way I think that that has solved a lot of like any other issues and all of our writers have unique you know unique tones and unique voices and I think that that's necessary and i I want that on our blog part of the reason why we didn't want to go single point of view is we want unique viewpoints we want different tones um we want a more diverse you know uh representation on the blog in in all in all areas um so yeah i mean uh have a really tight process and hire great writers like i don't want to oversimplify it but that's really what it's all about that's 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 what it's been for
0: us that's it that's it so so tell me a little bit of what, what, what it means to be content-driven a, a, as an organization, right? Because you're pretty much putting your whole marketing strategy is behind content, but also what are some of the metrics that you need to focus on and uh, where do you find opportunities from those metrics when you're running the, the content uh, strategy?
1: Yeah, I mean, content-driven is really just another way of saying like you're you're, you're, You're not really investing in short-term solutions, uh, paid ads, things like that. Um, You know, for us being a smaller company for the past few years, that was more out of necessity. Um, uh, It's probably something we're going to experiment with, specifically retargeting, um, because we have a free product. We have a ton of people that are signing up for DataBox, right? So retargeting is, is is something that I think is worth investing in, but um you know content driven is is more of a long term approach but you know like i said earlier finding ways to sort of hack traction um somebody should should write a book called Haction or something it's, it's terrible that's a terrible uh nickname for it but um to sort of like hack traction in the early days right and but yeah really being content driven is 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 focus in in terms of the metrics like you're focused on sort of those outcome metrics that you know things like traffic things like signups conversion rates but i think we also focus a great deal on what we call output metrics um it's part of a training that we put out called predictable performance training and how to allow businesses to do a better job of predicting what they're going to be able to do performance wise next week next month next quarter which is super hard right um for any of us to do but uh, for us, it's, it's meant focusing on outcome metrics, but then most people don't pay a lot of attention to the output metrics or even understand which outputs result in outcomes. So uh, we focus a great deal on output metrics, especially because we're a small team. It's, it's sort of a superpower. So those are things like how many new contributors to, to surveys this, this week, this month, um, how many blog posts have been published, how many, how many links have we generated. So by focusing on those things and having sort of an intense, um, you know, uh, f- focus on the outputs, um, you know, we're able to uh, sort of have faith that the outcomes are, you know, we're doing the right things and we're investing in the right activities that the outcomes are going to follow suit, right? It's like um, a
0: salesperson focusing on calls, meetings, books, emails, right. and meetings, books. Right.
1: Yeah. right? Same thing. It's sort of like, yeah, it's a funnel for, for content. I think if you're going to be content driven... You have to take that sort of approach. You have to be invested in the activities and you have to make things repeatable and and have clear processes for everything i uh, you know I've worked at you know a few companies that have been prolific in content, and some companies are just like they get by because they're just you know they on a whim like oh, I have these ideas this week let's let's publish them or um, we're going to collaborate with these companies you know this quarter um, but there's no real cohesive strategy or people aren't focused on doing the outputs with any regularity. um, We've had to do that. I mean, being content driven for us, especially being a smaller team, like we have to focus on uh, first understanding what outputs actually result in outcomes. And then second, we have to make sure that we set goals around those outputs. People own those outputs. um, And we prioritize those things. And, you know, we've, uh, we've really kind of, distilled it all down to a really tight process i think over the years and that's allowed us to we, we know exactly what what levers to pull in terms of content like okay if we up our if we up our frequency here we know that this is probably what we're going to see come out the other end um, in order to do that we're going to need x more contributors we're going to need x more blog posts published we know exactly who owns each area what they have to do in order to do that and so it's really just about knowing really understanding what outputs lead to the outcomes and having processes and roles defined that, that help everybody, uh, you know, achieve the outputs in addition to the outcomes.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. So you've been building this for, for a couple of years and, and you've, you've gotten to, to achieve amazing results, not only on visits, but, um, you, you, your whole organization is being now content driven and you're not spending a lot of money on other activities how did you get to that first 100,000 visitors? And uh, and after that, which is amazing, how you keep them coming, right? How do you get another 100,000, right? Uh, tell us more about that.
1: First 100,000 visitors. So, yeah, I mean, that was, uh, like I kind of mentioned before, I would say the first thing that was important there is publishing frequency. It matters. Um, like I said, I think probably 20% of the content that you publish is ever going to drive meaningful organic traffic, you need to publish high-quality content at a high frequency. And so I think the first thing was uh, that, publishing frequency. Now, the second part of that, high-quality content at a high frequency, um, second point, you need to establish processes that ensure that, that ensure high quality and that they ensure efficiency so you're able to publish at a high volume. So everything from conceptualizing ideas, assigning posts, who writes them, proofreading, editing, Images, um, everything, every step of the process needs to be documented. It needs to be repeatable. Quality can be repeatable. Um, And I don't think a a, a lot of marketers believe that. They think there's a false choice. It has to be one or the other. And I would say read any great newspaper. Read the Washington Post. Read the New York Times. They have to do both. They do it every day. I'm not comparing us to the New York Times or the Washington Post. I'm just saying that you can, at a smaller scale, you know, those – organizations are publishing hundreds of pieces of content a day, right? We're publishing one. (laughs) So um, establishing processes to ensure high quality and high frequency is essential. You need to document every step of the process. There needs to be someone that owns, uh, you know, everyone has to know who owns which area of the process because if it's not repeatable, you're never going to be able to produce high quality at a high volume. Um, High quality will end up just being something that is sort of serendipitous And if you try to go high volume without a repeatable process, you get a lot of shit content Um, because you just at that point you just hit people. People are just trying to hit a number, right? It's like if you tell a sales guy you need, you know, there's no there's no script, there's no Mm -hmm. you know there's no ideal. uh, Just make calls, prospect. Just hit, rock the phones, right? You okay? You he'll hit that number, right? So same thing when it comes to content. If you are trying to do quality without a process. It's going to be few and far between. And if you're trying to do volume without a process, you're going to have a lot of crappy content. So that was number two. The third one is you have to establish distribution channels early. You don't need three or four. You really only need one really good one um, because you can't just publish and wait for organic traffic to kick in. Um, You need to find at least one distribution channel that works early on. For us, that was having contributors to our content. That was having 25, 50 people share it with their audiences, put it in their newsletters, link it on their website um that helped us gain traction early and then two three four five six months in our f- early post started gaining traction in search and then that kind of gave us a boost so you need to find a distribution channel to sort of bridge that gap uh between the early days and when organic starts to pick up maybe it's influencer maybe it's video um but you need to find one and then links you know as early as possible find a way to build links uh quality links um in a way that's not you're not just emailing people and asking, hey, do you want to link to this? We've made it a part of our process. We offer our writers 25% more money um, if they write a second, smaller post, 500 words, that we then give away to a publishing partner. And they publish it on their website. They get a, a free piece of content that's well-written, well-researched uh, in terms of SEO. And then they link back to us. So finding like a good way to build quality links, scalable, Early on is important too, from to 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 get to 100k. Now, when you hit that mark, sometimes you'll hit that sort of plateau around, one, you know, it might be 80, 90, might be 120. But at that point, it's like scaling the output through processes. So that might mean more writers, might mean even more content being published. But scale, you know, now that you have a process documented, scaling it. Second thing is editing and updating old content. That's huge. There, there's there's actually sometimes I would say when you hit that 100k mark and a little after you might even see more value editing old content than even publishing new content but again if you're looking to continue scaling and you have eyes on being a 50 million 100 million dollar company or for if you're service based you know might be 10 million whatever it is like you want to get past 100,000 to 200,000 right so you're going to keep publishing at a high volume but um there's, more, there's probably more value once you hit 100,000 in updating old content. So having a process for prioritizing which content should be updated, which ones have uh, decayed, which ones are hanging out on page two, editing and updating those is going to give you a huge boost. Um, third one, finding distribution partners. You know, we've done that with partners like you, Gabe, um, you know, collaborating on content, uh, whether it's video or... Or, or content, uh, blog posts, or whatever it is, like finding distribution partners um, that will either publish content for you, like what I was just saying, uh, like building links and creating content for other people. But finding distribution partners is also important. And then link building, same thing. Like That's always going to be important. Um, I would say those are some of the, the things that come to mind. Uh, I'm sure I'll think of more later, but those are some of like the big plays in terms of getting to 100K and then scaling once you hit it. Because you hit it, and it feels great, and then you're like, "Okay, now what?" and you even plateau um you always hit these traffic plateaus, like I feel like there's also one at the one one fifty to one seventy range um and I feel like the answer uh especially when you get more traffic and you have more content published, a lot of the the low hanging fruit is just like going back to your existing content what yeah, what am I missing what did we what keywords are we missing on some of these posts? Uh, what opp- If I add video, can we increase the dwell time of some of these posts, which will help? So there's all kinds of things. Or, yeah, do we create supplemental content like video that have rank in YouTube? Um, because we know that the content written format work really well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's all kinds of optimization opportunities, I think, after
0: 100,000 and after you've published a good amount of content that come into play. And also we've seen linking internally to other content. that You know, your, your, your SEO strategy should include... Pillar pages and landing page right. and, and topic clusters and making sure that there's internal linking. But that also happens. Sometimes you're posting so much content that that even though the strategy is there, you don't see some of the opportunities to link the content uh, to each other. And we've seen that going back and saying, hold on, right. we have all of this content. If we just link it to these things and, and and repost it and update it, then all of a sudden you have a, a new cluster that can grow together. Yeah, that's think. a good
1: point. The the parent child relationship with the content. That that's actually something now that we're we're investing more in I think is more important at the stage that we're at too is is like you just said, identifying where those clusters can be informing them. A lot of that content's already written. So it's really just about organizing it and yeah, early on you don't have enough content for that to make sense, right? And then all of a sudden you're a couple years in and and you're like, oh man, we have all this content all over the place, and it, you know, maybe you're combining posts. Maybe that's or, it.
0: You can combine some posts and create a pillar piece of content, and then that becomes and the then new linking cluster. to other
1: subtopics, and like, mm-hmm. yeah, defining that sort of content tree, I think, is is also a huge play uh, after after that 100,000 mark.
0: John, this has been amazing. You've shared pretty much the whole strategy inside DataBox. Not the whole thing, man. Yeah. <laughs> of, of course, but there's a lot, a lot that you have shared, and we really appreciate. You being here, uh, of course, we really appreciate Databox partnership and your partnership. Uh, Pete has been an, an amazing partner and Databox has been an amazing partner for us. Uh, we, we've been growing together and that's uh, been great. Uh, anything else you want to share with us or the world?
1: No, just uh, I would just say likewise, man. It's it's uh, Thanks for having me on, first of all. And yeah, working with partners like Nextony is, is great because it makes makes us look good. I mean, I think that goes for any, any, uh, software product, HubSpot. I mean, I, you know, back in the day when I was in the partner program, like the best partners make the product look good and make the company look good. So it's, yeah, companies like Nextiny, e, you guys are, 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 I feel like leaders on the video and, and video measurement, video marketing, and, and the way you use data box, it's like you teach us things. So yeah, it's, uh, I would just say likewise, uh, it's great to, it's great to work closely with you and and the team over there. And, and yeah, thanks for having me on MarTech Master. That's
0: great. Thank you. And, and make sure you check out ground up, uh, John's podcast too. Uh, so, uh, so thanks again, John, for being here. Thanks again for the partnership and stay safe. Okay. Take it easy.
1: (laughs) You got it. You too.
0: Bye-bye. This episode of MarTech Masters was produced and edited by NexGen Marketing. To watch the series, visit our website at nextgenmarketing.com. Subscribe to our channel to keep up to date with the latest news from our friends in MarTech Masters.